reason that I'm here is because you know, the club is seeking change. He said, well, whether you come or not, you're going to see a completely different first team under me. You know, my hope and my desire and what I'm going to try and do is give our supporters hope and, and belief that we're, um, you know, we're going to embark on something special. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I am your host, Andrew. This is episode 143, and we have got a hell of a fun match to talk about with you this week. Alongside the Todd father himself, he is at TC underscore Cachot. Todd, what's going on, man? Hey, any day, Andrew, any day that you can celebrate the latest winner in Premier League history is a good fucking day. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. Uh, we 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 chatted a little bit. Well, we chatted a lot before uh, before starting uh, actually recording today, and we were talking a little bit about like how we watched this match because obviously just the vibes for for a Saturday morning uh, here in the states on the West Coast and watching this game were were immaculate. Uh, they were. Indeed. It was so interesting to to see how people consumed this match. Um, I did not watch this match live. I look, man. I only get a few opportunities uh, during the week. Normally, it's just one opportunity during the week to go out and 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 you know play a little golf, which is something that I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and this week that was Saturday morning for me, so I decided I'm going social media blackout. I'm going to go play my golf. Uh, shout out to my buddy Matt, who's my golf buddy. We went out, we played 18. Shout out, Matt. I had no no idea what had happened until I got a text from my own father while <laughs> on the golf course. Who just said, unbelievable, are you watching? And I had to quickly text him and be like, no, dude, I'm golfing. I'm not watching. Please don't spoil anything for me. And he didn't, to be fair. Um, shout out to your dad. Shout out to my dad. But I I had I was managed to stay, you know, social media um free until actually watching the game. The only thing I knew was that obviously that something unbelievable had happened. And boy, was it unbelievable, as you said, the latest. <laughs> comeback in premier league history um how did you take in this this 2-1 victory over sheffield united todd well i've been away on business all week and uh shout out to pci and uh (laughs) and and uh you know so i actually got to hang out with my my kids uh yesterday morning and we were at breakfast it was on peacock so i was able to have it on the phone i was enjoying an omelet with my littles and um man it was an extremely infuriating game, and I understand uh, the announcers have a ha- have a a job to do. Um, but for a large portion of that game, we were just kicking the snot out of the blades, man. And that is not the way that if you were just listening to the match, it was portrayed on NBC Peacock. Uh, so, and it was certainly not the way that it was refereed. But that's a different conversation. Uh, what I will say though is, Andrew, when they scored that goal on a trash corner from behind i turned it off i turned it off 
I did. I turned it off for like two or three minutes. I had to walk away from it. I was like, not again, not again, again, not again. And then a couple of minutes later, I thought, nope, I'm loving Big Ange instead. Yep. And I turned it back on and boy, am I happy I did. This game gave me massive Pochettino era vibes from a standpoint of there's a team sitting in a low block that we cannot seem to break through on despite having 70% of the ball in this match, uh, 70% of possession to, to Sheffield United's 30, despite having the much better chances. Like you said, once they got their goal, it was like, oh, cool. They're, they're about to smash and grab a one nil. This feels, this feels like to me, it almost felt like the penalty you pay for playing fun, aggressive football in the way that we've seen under Ange Postacoglu. But then, you know, stoppage time came and all was right with the world again. Well, there's a couple of things that I want to say on that. Um, the first thing is, is that um, the, the biggest, the reason why it didn't feel like a Pochettino era situation for me is because I feel like in those later Poch days, and especially in the in the uh, Mourinho days, when 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 teams would settle into a low block, and we didn't have Christian Eriksen anymore, like there was nothing that we could do to create those chances. So we would just huck the ball in from the wings and, on crosses and hope for the best. Yeah, that's fair. And there wasn't a huck and hope strategy. We had great chances on goals, and whatever that clown knows that's in goal for for Sheffield had a great match. For the majority of it. And to be fair, if I'm Sheffield United and the I'm looking at how he's managing that game from a time-wasting standpoint, I'm not mad at it, to be fair. Like, if the referee's not going to keep him accountable, like, keep doing whatever you're doing, my guy. That's how you get a win against a big six team if you're Sheffield United. Like, I understand. But it's funny how the footballing gods, sometimes when you're doing things the right way, you got good football karma on your side, like, you can overcome some shitty time wasting and some poor refereeing with some God blessed quality. And that's exactly what we saw in extra time. I was very happy about it. Yeah. Your point on, on Fodderingham is, is well taken. I will say there were reports after the match uh, from, from Fodderingham himself that he was receiving a lot of racial abuse from the fans in the South stand. Can't have Never that. Accepted. Never. That accepted. is at And, and the, uh, Obviously, Sheffield United has condemned that. Spurs have, have condemned that. Uh, via social Listen, media. I'm all for shit talk. Let's have this conversation yes. right now. We sure. need to have this conversation. I'm all for shit talk. Get out there and tell them exactly how you're feeling, but be respectful. You don't have to be an yep. asshole, right? Yep. If, you, if you understand that you're in a place with a lot of kids, tone down the swearing, right? You don't need to be racist. You don't need to be sexist. You don't need to be homophobic. Just call them shit if they're shit. If they're shit, just call them shit. <laughs> We we've seen this from James Madison this year, like winding up fans. Yes. What was that in the was it in the uh, Bournemouth match? Perhaps I, think I can't it might remember have where he was winding up. Bournemouth, like, Burnley, something. I'm not sure. We see we see the back and forth between players and fans be like you say, shit talky and and have those kinds of vibes, but also kind of fun and lighthearted. And that's what this should be. And the second it turns uh into into this other nonsense no we, we we condemn that on every level so i'm i'm i hope that whoever uh was was spewing the hatred is is oh. brought to justice because that is um not something we want to see in, in in part of our game as um, we're giving just do stick to people who attended the match yesterday i swear to christ if we figure out who threw the second ball oh my on the gosh. pitch not once that was twice, some tough stuff too yeah man 
that was that was tough. And honestly, that that kind of dovetails a little bit into the officiating discussion because why were there two different decisions made when when different you know when 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 there were two balls on the pitch uh, at, at certain points? It was it was all very. Uh, it, it was frustrating, but let's let's start though by talking about the lineup. So same lineup uh, from from before the international break against Burnley. You know we get uh, no changes except for on the bench where Eric Dyer comes in. That's something that we can come on to talk about with the squad list being revealed. But wh- where were you at with this lineup? Because I thought uh, after the week that Richarlison had, and certainly we will we certainly we will come on to, to talking about that. I, you know, I it was kind of an expected thing for me. I wasn't super shocked to see this lineup, but where were you when you saw the 11? I was excited. Uh, the only one that I was really concerned about was Cudi Romero after that, wh- whoever they played tried to chop his leg off with his cleat um, and <laughs> ended up getting a straight red in that game, Bolivia or whoever they were playing. Uh, that was the one that I was concerned about. Um, as far as the 11 is concerned, Andrew, this is the best 11 that we have right now. Uh, and honestly, Manor Solomon went a long way to solidifying that point in both of the appearances that we've seen him starting. Um, he has been a breath of fresh air. His ability to take on a man and beat a man on the dribble is something that we haven't had at Tottenham Hotspur since Aaron Lennon. I really appreciate the the game that Solomon had, and I, I'm... I'm hesitant to uh, make any like grand declarations because I think with all of this stuff, you know, a different, a different piece of personnel is going to be required for different matches. But from what we've seen of him and what we've seen of Kulisevsky, and we've talked about this a little bit over the weeks in kind of getting to know Angeball and what Angeball is and how it looks in certain, in certain realms. But against a team like Sheffield United, which is going to, as we know, sit deep and try and defend and try to, either nick a one nil which they nearly did or you know get a a goalless draw just to just to get a result from a match like this when they're playing away we've seen the wings be a super super important part of what postacoglu wants to do with his attack and we've seen the central forward or striker position be a little bit less involved and i think that's kind of what we've seen really over the weeks when richarlison was starting in that spot even when in this game, when Sonny was starting more centrally, we've seen that player, whoever it may be in the center, not that they're not involved, but from a goal scoring standpoint, I don't think we're going to see as many goals come from the central forward position as we will from the wingers. And well, it depends we, on who's playing in the nine. It does, but I think it also depends on what the skill sets are. And when you bring up Solomon, that skill set for what Spurs were trying to do yesterday just really clicked. And it did for Kulisevsky as well. I thought Kulisevsky had a brilliant game on the opposite end. Those wingers were, were, were running in on attacks and just really doing a job in terms of creating things with, not only with the central uh, forward in Sonny, but with the midfield as well. And it all just seemed to, to really gel and vibe together. So, I mean, by to, to your point, the very nature of the Ange Postacoglu system is to um, you only want your striker to do what the striker does best. What does the striker do best? Get chances and, and banging goals, right? So what I would say is when you're when you're in a when you're facing a team like Sheffield who's going to low block, you're going to depend on the production to come from those wings, right? Because you're going to need to have it come from somewhere. The fact that Kulisevsky and Solomon do different things well on the wings too is really cool to see. Like Solomon is absolutely going to beat you off the dribble and he's going to beat you with quickness and pace and shiftiness. And it's outstanding. 
Kulisevsky, on the other hand, is absolutely going to beat you off the dribble, and he's going to do it with physicality and a silky finesse. It's like watching uh, uh, Luca play basketball, where it's you know he's big, slow, and white, but he just does athletic shit anyway. <laughs> it's a really good kind of comparison. I, I've never thought about the the Kulisevsky to Luka Doncic uh, comparison. But that's I, well, that's I was I mean, sh- shout out to Tyson Chandler. I was watching Tyson Chandler on all that on the all that smoke podcast. And he's he's uh, in a uh, in a coaching role in Dallas now. And they asked him about watching Luca. And he's like, yeah, man, like, you know, you know, he could never do what all of us do because we're so explosive and athletic and stuff like that. And he goes, he's just big, slow and white. But he's doing all the same athletic things just at a pace below. And it made me think of Greg Maddox as a, as a baseball fan where he used to say, you know, it's not about throwing harder. It's about hitting your spots and locations and movement. And it's, it's one of those things where I feel like Kulisevsky is very similar in the way that he manages space where it's like I can do athletic shit. I'm just going to do it in my way. Or I'm going to use my my body to, to leverage you in different ways. So my athletic shit looks explosive, even though it's slower. I don't know how much uh, Scott, who is a, a Houston Rockets fan, or Caroline, who's a San Antonio Spurs fan, is going to appreciate all the effusive praise of the Dallas Mavericks on this podcast. But regardless, <laughs> I'm sure we, I'm sure we have some Dallas fans as well. But you're, the, the Maddox point is really interesting to me, and it's it's about positioning, and that's the other thing I've noticed with this team under Postacoglu is their positioning, not just as a unit and keeping shape, but their position to get to balls and to box mm-hmm. out players and to move the ball in such a way that you are controlling not just possession, but the flow of play has been really impressive to me. It felt like in years past, there's been a little bit more of an obvious defensive um, uh, defensive wish for, for, from the coaches. They, they wanted to play a little bit more defensively. And that leads you to not possess the ball as much, and it leads you to be playing a little bit more, I don't want to say haphazardly, but just a little bit more free with what you do with the ball and now that we, we're in a system and we're seeing this where they want to possess the ball they want to move the ball in certain ways they want to have a flow to their game we're seeing players get in positions and box defenders out and move or move around players in such ways and we're seeing so much speed as well in comparison to to other t- i mean we're seeing i mean there were a couple instances where ibasuma got balls yesterday and just glided past players. Dude, he's with so it. good. He's so good. The, the same. The same was the case with James Madison on multiple fronts. And honestly, the same was the case with defending and getting back. I mean, Mickey Van Deven at certain points. Shout out to to Holly Agenbar, who who last week on our pod nicknamed him Daddy, Daddy Long Legs. Like I love it. Daddy Long Legs is fast as hell. And the the fact that he was able to use his speed at times to get back and stop a counterattack because that's what this that's what this is going to be. This is this what it's going to require. It's good. What it's going to require, and you're you're going to have Romero back there and Van de Ven, and you know all the fingers crossed and all the wood is being knocked that these two guys stay healthy as center backs because we all know that there's a long story about what's behind them. But when you can Actually, utilize it's a short story, if we're being well, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> when you can utilize their get back speed you know we're pushing forward we're trying to score we're passing we're going you know full full on all gas no breaks offense in in ange ball but then oh shit we got to get back because they're going to try and counterattack. and look maybe sheffield united are not perfectly suited for that maybe they still have a little bit of a ways to go but there's going to come a time and 
God knows it may come as early as next week in a, in a really important North London Derby, but it, there, there's going to come a time where those guys really need to execute and watching that happen as well. This whole thing is just flowing so well and it's flowing so beautifully. And I, I really took, um, took a lot of pride in watching, even, even as you mentioned, even after this club fell down one nil yesterday, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this feels this feels shitty, but this is what I mean by it's also kind of the price you pay for playing this way. And I would rather see this team play in a more forward, go for it, try and win the game, try and score goals way, and occasionally get the unlucky, oh, they gave up that goal. Now they've got a scratch and claw to either get a point or just rescue a game at home. Then, oh, we're going to sit back and we're going to, you know, see what happens and maybe we can nick a goal here. This is This is Tottenham football. This is what I've wanted to see for years and it's so encouraging to be able to see it now and see it in this way. Well, and speaking to that, I, I want to point out the fact that one of the things that Ange did that made a significant difference are the substitutions and the way that we change shape going into extra time. So um, we're, it's all the shout outs on this pod. So uh, uh, shout out to Nathan A. Clark from the extra inch, good friend of the pod. And uh, he put out um, a defensive shape kind of replacement when we had the substitutions come on. And we went to basically like a 3-2-5 up front, which was just wild where you've got Udogi, Romero, and Royale in the back. And you've got sitting in front of them, Basuma. And my Viking, who played a hell of a role in Pierre-Emile Hoybier, doing big things off the bench, contributing. And then the five going forward from there, Parasich, Madison, Kulisevsky moving from the wing into a secondary 10 role. Let's go with Johnson on the other wing, which we'll come on to and Richarlison up top. And then after we scored and he needed to, uh, he wanted to solidify it. He dropped Hoybier back with Romero, put Udogi, Basuma and Royale in the middle, and then went to a slightly um, more retreated, uh, Parisage, Madison, Kulisevsky, Johnson with Richarlison up top. So what I want to show here is that as you were talking about where it's like, and as I, I, I thought about, no, I'm loving Big Ange instead, and it's the reason why is because we have a belief that this man is going to assess the situation and do something to better our position instead of just hoping that the same old thing is going to work over and over and over again despite the lack of the results to prove it. Yeah, there's no question about it. And, and the adjustments that were made – late in the match like it it didn't feel it didn't even feel panicky at all it felt okay this is the position we're in we're going to keep doing what we're doing and i think that the stats tell a real i mean look i i said this you and you said this was an ass kicking there's no two ways about it and you can look at the score line and see oh uh sheffield score in the 73rd minute and then spurs don't score until 90 plus 8 and then 90 plus 10 and look there's a time-wasting discussion that can be had here. There's a little bit of a, a, a karma vibe that goes on um, where, yeah, there wouldn't have been t- 12 minutes added, I think it was, at the end of the game if Sheffield United had not tried to waste all of the time and just completely take the air out of the ball throughout the game. That's on them. And kudos, I guess, to the the Premier League's new emphasis on making sure that the full game is played and we're not wasting time because Spurs certainly benefited from that, I think, in this game. But when you look at the underlying stats in this game, and they're not even really underlying stats, they're just stats. I mentioned before, 70% possession for Spurs. That is a massive number in a Premier League game. There's no two ways about it. I think these days, if you're getting 
anywhere between 63 and 67 percent it's a massive number they're up around 70 um the shots alone just shots 28 to 7 that's a massive massive Dude. disparity in shots and then the corners the corner kicks were getting on goal. 10 shots on goal the corner kicks were 15 to 2 in this match the corners were pretty remarkable the the, the disparity between corners and of course the goal coming from a, the, the first goal rather the, the equalizer the Richarlison goal coming from from a from a corner and then the xg alone uh, and i know shout out to scott i know he wants us to talk ad nauseum about xg but this really does tell quite a story it was 2.12 to 0.66 in t- yeah. and that tells a, a really clear story about who dominated the game who had the more more of the chances and sure spurs you know when we look back at this match we're going to say what a remarkable comeback and what a remarkable story what a remarkable boost for richarlison who i do want to come on to and talk about here but like this was an ass kicking that the full 90 minutes plus showed and it played out that way and mm-hmm. this is the kind of match that spurs always should have won and and did and these are the, also the kinds of matches that in the premier league you've got to win if you want well, to be a good team because you can't you can't let these opportunities when you play so well you can't let them slip by like spurs have so many times in the past well i think that that right there is an incredible point to make because i think that every one of our successful seasons over the course of the last decade you have two or three matches throughout the year where they're they're just mares they're they're one nil to Burnley in the 90 plus two minute when uh, Chris Woods, big noggin finds the back of the net. When we went to the champions league final that year, like there's just, there's, there's certain games throughout the year where it's like, wait, we lost to Brentford. No, we lost it. Wait, who did we lose to? And yeah. that is the thing that when you actually look at the teams that consistently win the man cities, the Liverpools, et cetera, their record against the big six is comparable to, you know, it's it's near 500, to be fair. Those are tough matches across the board. But when you look at their record against the bottom 10, they're just, they steamroll them. Yep, That's true. the winning formula. And we haven't, I've always lamented the fact that we don't seem to step on teams' necks when we have the opportunity. And we'll go up and sit back or we'll go down a goal and our heads will drop or whatever. Ange Ball has no time for sulking. We're coming to get you. And I think that's a really important point when you look at after the after the Richarlison equalizer. There's only a handful of minutes left. I mean, this we're already deep into stoppage time when that happens. But there was no sitting back at that point. Spurs easily could have said, all right, we got the equalizer. We at least survived and got a point. We're going to stand. No, they kept it going and kept pushing because there was still time and they knew as much as they were dominating the game, as much as they were kicking Sheffield United's ass up and down the pitch, they felt comfortable in that they were not going to be exposed at the back and they felt comfortable that they were going to be able to go on and win the game. And they fucking did. And that, that is what you're talking about. The stepping on other teams next. And look, that's not to say that there will not be a a, a trip to Everton later in this season where Spurs really struggle and maybe only get a point. Like that's not to say that that those things won't happen because they very well may. This is still, I keep trying to remind myself that this is very early days still with this team. This is still a growing team. This is still a, a roster that we think is pretty thin in certain areas and that who knows what could happen, but you're at least starting to see signs of this is really awesome. 
I'm really enjoying what I'm watching and expectations are going to start to slowly creep a little bit higher if we start to see these performances. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's really fun to be a part of that journey. Yeah, I appreciate that. But like Ann says, like, none of that matters, right? Like, what Ann's just talking about is that win or lose, I hope that the fans see that we're out here and and, and the guys are, are trying to play, regardless of the scoreline, trying to play the kind of football that we want to play. And he keeps saying that, Andrew. He keeps saying that when pressed on points. He's like, no, well, what it really boils down to is us trying to, like, play the football that we want to play. And if we play the football that we want to play – the results are going to come and the fans are going to see that. And even if we lose, but we're playing the way that we want to play, those are the things that we focus on in order to get better and improve the culture and improve the team. And that's what we're seeing here, Andrew, is that regardless of the moment in the game, regardless of the time left on the scoreboard, when they got that that equalizer, not a single one of them celebrated with their backs to the center spot every single one of them turned their happy asses around and said yep. let's fucking go we're coming back at it again hoybier had the ball in his hand carrying it like his baby running it back to the center spot to the point i want to bring up him one more time as soon as they scored that goal the the second kulisevsky goal what did what did peh do my fucking viking picked up that ball and punted it that bitch into rose ed said you're not <laughs> getting that thing back anytime soon no, so, it, was, it was their time to take the air out of the ball. Exactly. So what I'm saying here is that this team only has one speed, and I love it. It's, you know, hammer down, let's go forward. I I, I loved every bit of it, and you're you're 100% right. Let's let's talk about Richarlison for a minute because this was, this was a real storyline throughout the week uh, with his international break and the time that he had at Brazil and, and you know, tears were shed and – uh, a discussion about mental health was was brought up. And this is one of those things that, you know, we talked about weeks ago with with Deli Ali and his his admission of of mental health struggles and everything. And I thought the the thing that I took from all of this, and look, we talked ad nauseum about Richarlison and the start of the season he's had and the, you know, I don't even want to say struggles because I think a lot of this does kind of go to the system that we're talking about and he, him putting a lot of pressure on himself, but he's obviously been going through some stuff, uh, it, not only with his game, but in his personal life, but he came out and spoke about it this week, which I think is extremely admirable and important. Um, the thing that really stood out to me this entire week though, was the response, not only from the fan base and, you know, just the collective uh, football universe, which I thought was really mostly positive from what I saw, but the response from Ange Postacoglu was, was what really hit home for me and, and his press conference that he had before the match speaking about Richarlison, speaking about mental health with in, in footballers in general, um, and just recognizing that these are, it's, it's a conversation that we have here at the depot all the time, that these guys are human beings. Uh, these, these, these players are, you know, not everyone is, is not, everything's all rosy all the time and it's okay to say, and it's okay to deal with and talk about. And it was just really cool to see Richarlison have that moment where he so brilliantly scored with a header to equalize and the support that he got in that stadium, the support he got from his manager, all of it felt, felt warm. It felt cozy. It felt like this is community. This is Spurs. This is what this football club can be and should be and we want to be about as we always say 
when we bring up mental health on this podcast, check on your people. It takes no time in the world for you to send out a text and say, hey, buddy, I hope you're well. I'm just thinking about you. What I want to say is that shout out to Richarlison for having the self-awareness that he could benefit from going to talk to somebody. One of the hardest things that a lot of men uh, face is their own ego and getting over that to realize that they could appreciate some help. So shout out to him for saying that. Shout out to the Spurs fans in the stadium when he was just warming up, clapping him up. Shout out to Ange for being, I mean, one of the better man managers I've seen to this point in time. And simply to say that, you know, hey, Richie's football hasn't been bad. He's just been, you know, in those unlucky run of forums. That stuff happens. And you know what? It absolutely does. And then shout out to Richarlison for having the stones and the mental fortitude to keep pushing. And what do we always say? Andrew, shoot or shoot, right? Put yourself in a position to be successful when good things happen. So, I, I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that the, the last portion on that that I want to say is that how we come through the hard times together is what galvanizes us and makes the win feel so special. It's a it's a very salient salient point and something that I think uh, we can all appreciate. And I I think not enough is even like I, I, I've looked at this not from a standpoint either of Richarlison is trying to step in and replace Harry Kane because I think that's like a, a grander narrative that that people might want to put on this. I have not seen it that way, but also I I can't imagine that Richarlison isn't feeling some of that. And it's so hard to put yourself in his shoes and I'm not trying to do that, but like, it's just, it's, it's not something I ever really thought about. I it's, but it's how, how could you ignore something like that? And all of this is just, uh, I, I, I love seeing him recognize in himself that he, he, he needs to go forward and he needs to, uh, talk about these things. Anytime, anytime an athlete comes out and says, Hey, not everything's right. I'm human. We need to get the things right. I want to talk about it. Let's, let's have a conversation like communication, baby. That's what this is all about. And I love that. And I, and I, I, I not only appreciate, but, but I respect it so much that someone like him would want to come out and talk about these kinds of things. And like you said, the, the man manager part of this from Andrew Postacoglu has, uh, has wowed me and it has, um, it's humbled me even I've, I've felt such a, such a kinship with this, this Australian man who I didn't really know existed 12 months ago, all that much. And he's come into this club and given it such a, a boost and a vibe and a, and a, and a spirit of what I think this club can and should be. Um, and it's just, it's very much appreciated on my end. Absolutely. The last thing that I want to mention on this is that, um, None of this would be possible for Richarlison if it weren't for the leadership within the players at this club. And I want to give the most specialist shout-outs to a guy who didn't show up on the scoreline yesterday and who a guy who, by and large, didn't do a ton in the game. And that's Min son, Andrew. And what I want to say is that 
It's my opinion that that win doesn't happen under Hugo Lloris's leadership. It's my opinion that that win doesn't happen under Harry Kane's leadership. I would say that that was a character win. And that this team, for all of its superstars over the course of the last, de last decade, has significantly lacked character at times when it needed it most. And that is not going to be a problem under Ange Postacoglu. I'm I'm glad I'm really glad you bring up Sonny in this instance, and I'm gonna take a take the opportunity to give a second shout out to Nathan A. Clark from the Extra Inch because he sent out a tweet yesterday. Shout out to Nathan uh, in the in the aftermath of the victory. Shared a video of the club, the the team rushing over to the South Stand to to clap the fans, and at the front of that line, that line of players. And this is not something I saw, by the way, until much later, because I watched the game. I was pumped. And then I didn't really watch much of the post-match reaction. As I mentioned, I, I watched the game much hours later than, than, than live. So I didn't really follow up with a lot of the, the post-game uh, shenanigans, if you will. But the post-game shenanigans were fun because the entire team runs over to the South Stand to clap the fans. And as part of that, you see Hyungmin's son pushing Richarlison to the front of that line and rushing him up and saying, nope, get this guy to lead this way. And that point you make about Sun and being the leader and being the captain, and, and what I'll say about what Nathan A. Clark said, he said the archety archetypal uh, old-school captain in the English game probably isn't treating his competition for a starting spot in this way. And that's such a salient point because Sonny is literally, you know, he that is, they are kind of sharing this central forward slash striker role right now. Um, and that is exactly what he did. He pushed Richarlison to the front to recognize this guy needs this right now. This guy needs the applause, put him front and center. He came in, he, he gave us a spark offensively, not that they were struggling offensively, but he, he provided the equalizer. He provided the assist for the winner and he, he deserved to have a little bit of that praise heaped on him in that moment. And Sonny had no problem shining that light on him. And that is, that was so cool to see. And like, like you said, you, you said it all about Sonny, like that, that leadership that he has shown um, him stepping into this role as captain, the vice captain stepping into the roles that they've stepped into. It's all been beautiful and brilliant. And again, I think it all, it not only goes, the praise not only goes to those players, but it goes to the man, you know, leading the entire thing in post for setting this thing up in the right way and, and going from there. So it's been, it's been really cool to watch couple of different things on that. I, I couldn't agree more. A couple of different things on that. First and foremost is that um, Sonny doesn't score the goal that Richarlison scored. It's a different skill set. Sonny doesn't I totally agree set. with that too. Yes. Secondly, if you watch Sonny's reaction from the bench for the Kulisevsky goal, there was a camera on Sonny. First off, he knew it was coming. He popped up. As soon as Perisic had that little, the little ball between his legs, Sonny popped up because he knew it was coming next. Secondly, as soon as Kulisevsky scores that goal, Sonny runs off the bench to the corner flag. And who does he go to? Not Kulisevsky. He goes to Richarlison. And he fucking mobs the guy because he knows that that play doesn't happen without Richarlison in every sense of the word. Just the movement that he had off the ball, the fact that him coming back to the ball and slipping is what allowed the initial ball to go through. The fact that he stayed on the press when the ball went out wide, 
all of the things. Sonny saw what, what Charleston did in that moment and was so complimentary of him. I, I couldn't ask for anything more from a captain. Such a selfless display from Youngman's son. It was beautiful. It was really beautiful. Um, there's a couple of other things from the week to talk about outside of the match. Um, shout out to, again, Andrew Postacoglu, named Premier League player uh, Manager of the Month, rather, for the month of August. James Madison, named Player of the Month for the month of August. A, a really cool double. Um, well done by both. Obviously, fully deserved. Um, and there was also the matter of uh, Rodrigo Bentancourt being back in training uh, and kind of slowly building himself up uh, this week with a well coiffed beard with a very well coiffed that that thing every time i see a picture of of rodrigo bentoncourt and and see his face that beard it feels like it's 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 encompassing more and more of his head it's it's well it's no that was big. that was the thing is that he, he he let it go and let it go and let it grow and the reason why i make the point is because he shaped it up for first team training i love it i love it it's it's it, the man is getting himself back into shape both uh with the beard look mm-hmm. and with the uh, the fitness and uh, you know, look, I'm not expecting Bentancourt to, to be rushing back into this team anytime soon, but it is nice to know there's there's something in the waiting here, and there's there's something that he's building towards something, which I, I really enjoy. Um, the other really big news from the week was the 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 squad list was was published and finalized, I guess. Um, Spurs had to confirm their their full squad for the Premier League campaign uh last, I believe it was Wednesday, um, including the non-homegrown list which is a maximum of 17 players and then the eight homegrown players and look everyone's kind of um tossed this 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 ball around a little bit but i think the only real talking point coming out of this at this point is is the inclusion of hugo Lloris. and hugo Lloris has been a story for the entirety of the summer and obviously he didn't didn't take a move um he's the previous captain and you mentioned his name earlier like i don't really know i i i I tried to like get to get myself to a place where I could have a real opinion on this matter. And I can't, I I can't really get to a place of I'm really pissed off that he's still here or I'm really, I just, I kind of nothing this, where are you at with Hugo Reese being included and, and just this whole kind of awkwardness of this transition? I mean, who else are you going to include Brandon Austin? Like, I mean, well, he is he he is included on the homegrown part on the homegrown side, right? So yeah. I mean, just eh. I mean he, he that's the thing. There was a space for another player, and it's like but there wasn't who really. Gonna, who are you going to include instead? I think I think I think that's the point. I think that's well, the I mean, point. and that's and I don't necessarily hate this. The truth is, is we've had a, a bloated squad for a ton of years, and we're trimming the fat. And sometimes trimming the fat takes a couple of windows, right? And so you look at you look at what happened with Hugo in the summer and how many moves he rejected and how many times he didn't want to this, that, and the other thing and the Napoli situation. Because ultimately what happened is everybody that we tried to ship him to, they were like, yeah, dude, you're going to be a number two. And you're going to have to take a pay cut. And he was like, well, if I'm going to not play – why would I leave my last year, my cushy ass contract at Tottenham? So I'm just going to hang out. And Tottenham like did the math on it. Obviously it's a Daniel Levy run club. Uh, And the math to terminate his contract is more expensive than to just let him sit on the bench. So 
the second portion of this is the fact that Fraser Forster's pretty shit. And so, so that's where I was going to go next with this conversation because I, I do want to play like I, I hate hypotheticals. I, I think people who have listened to the pod for a while kind of know this. I like to talk in, in realities and what's happened and react to that rather than predictions or hypotheticals. But for a second, let's just pretend that Vicario has a knock. Are you? Are you then bumping Fraser Forster into the starting role and putting Hugo Lloris on the bench, or are you putting Hugo Lloris right into the starting role over Fraser Forster if something like that? Who are we playing? I mean, if we're playing hypotheticals, I can ask qualifying questions, right? Yeah, I guess you can. Uh, I'm I'm actually not entirely sure. I I get why you think that matters. No, the reason why it matters is we're playing a low blocking counter team, right? If we're playing a low blocking counter team, who gives a shit? But if we're playing a team where I expect my keeper to have a ton of the ball at his feet, like then I'm going to have Frazier Forrester in goal. However, if we're playing a match where there's any sort of possibility that we could go to PKs, then I'm playing Hugo. So like in a cut match, for example. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. What if, it's, why what, if, what if it's next week against, against Arsenal in the North London Derby, for example? I'm, I'm it's honestly, tough, I'm, isn't it? I'm play, no, I'm playing Frazier if, okay. it's, if, it's, if it's next week. And the reason why with, is because he's... With in, Hugo on the bench or with someone else on the bench? No, with Hugo on the bench. With Hugo okay. on the bench. Okay, I was because just curious. It, yeah, if I can't play Vicario. But let, let, let's put a pin in that. Vicario's been a fucking revelation. Another massive stop. He has today. been great. And yes. he's good with the ball at his feet, and I'm comfortable with his distribution. And when he hoofs it long, I don't think that he's actually aiming at opposition players like Hugo used to. Like, there's just so many reasons why I'm happy. I, that's all That's all very fair, and I don't disagree with any of it. I just, I almost, I'm, I'm not trying to treat Vicario like a, like a starting quarterback in the NFL, where if you lose your starting quarterback, you're just kind of fucked and you've got to get by, but that's almost how I feel at this point when it comes to goalkeeper, because I don't really have a lot of trust in Frazier Forster, but I don't really have a lot of trust in Hugo Lloris or anyone else to come in either. I would just kind of nothing, any decision, like whatever, whatever, Ange, like this is the I'm loving big Ange instead theory. Like I'm just kind of like whatever he thinks, man, like the awkwardness of it from a, from a team dynamic and from a, a former captain still being in the squad part to me is I think the, the part that fascinates me most, because I do still think Hugo Lloris has a chance to, probably move on in January if he wants to, or if he just wants to play out the string the rest of the year and leave on a free at the end of the season. But either way it works out. I'm kind of just, I am what, like I've turned, I've turned so much of my thoughts on Spurs over to whatever Ange thinks, which I'm comfortable with. I'm okay with well, that. As you should be like, that's kind of what you want out of a manager, right? Is like, instead of sitting there going, we can fucking see this. How come Conte can't see this? Which right. those words have literally come out of both of our mouths on this podcast. So, <laughs> um, I don't know, man. Like I, I look at the situation and I go, like I said earlier, like who else are you going to put up there? So, um, we only have 15 more matches, Andrew, until the January window. So we've got opportunities here. Well, and not to mention only three more matches now uh, until the next international break, right. which is extremely interesting to me um, and not oh, something man. I thought of. Yeah, not something I really uh, had thought about until I glanced at the schedule. But 
Um, we are recording this in the moments as Arsenal have completed a 1-0 victory on a Sunday over Everton. Um, so as we look at the table going forward and we kind of look at, at where we are, um, Spurs still sit second in the table. And I know it's early and we don't really need to like have a, a grander discussion about position this early in the season. It's five. It's been five matches in the league, but Spurs and Arsenal will head into a North London Derby clash next weekend. Uh, level on points, both of them sitting on 13 points uh, after five matches. After that, Spurs play Liverpool, who are also on 13 points. The next two matches and then a trip to Luton away after that, before this international break, could, this is, I, I hate to put like such an emphasis on this could be one of the more important stretches of three games on in Spurs season, but it really could be. And, and as we know, so much of the, the ebbs and flows of a Premier League season is about momentum and it is about how your form is and how you're playing. And honestly, I feel like the vibes from a victory like Spurs had against Sheffield at home can very well carry into these these three matches. And it's not like there's midweek stuff thrown in. Like it's it's a, it's a week, well, a match a week for the next three weeks leading, leading into international break. And you can really do some, you can do some damage if you get some results over the next few weeks is what I'm trying to say. Well, see, and that's the interesting that you say is because uh, those clown noses down the road actually do have a match on Wednesday. Uh, we don't. So they'll be playing PSV Eindhoven, which I think is sitting at the top of the Eredivisie right now, on Wednesday before they have to play us on Sunday. So first off, fuck Arsenal. And second off, I'm really looking forward to that match. Now, what I will say is, is this an important stretch? Absolutely. Uh, you know, whenever you play, you know, big six teams back to back, it's always going to be an important stretch. Um, the fact that we have Luton on the back end of that is nice. But at the same point in time, I think the Sheffield match was so important because if you lose that match after kicking the shit out of them with 70% possession, and then we have to go into the week leading up to Arsenal, who just got a 1-0 scrappy victory over Everton, so they're above us on point. Like, it's, And then if we happen to draw that match or tie that match, then we go yeah. into Liverpool and we're behind them on point still. Fuck. Like, all the reasons why. That Sheffield United win, I think, is going to pay dividends over the course of the next three weeks, more than we could have possibly imagined. There's, there's no question about it, and all those points are, are well taken. I just, I'm, I'm so, I'm so pumped. For, I haven't been this pumped for a North London derby in a while. Like I haven't been. Most of the time, I enter a North London derby week with a certain amount of existential dread and a certain amount of um, queasiness in my stomach. Mm -hmm. And I, I know it's only, it, we got to still, still got another week before. I mean, it's next Sunday. We, we, I'm sure some of that will come by Thursday, Friday for me. Some of the dread, some of the, oh God, I don't, I don't want to have to go through this experience a little bit, but so far I'm like, yeah, let's, let's fucking go. I'm, 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 I'm more excited to see what this can be in what is continually and, and forever are one of our biggest matches on the calendar every year. Um, and that's. A I'm in a different place with it, which I, I'm I'm feeling some kind of way about. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting about that is I, I feel similar. Um, obviously, last year we you know was nasty business across the board with those clowns, uh, and we rarely get a result when we go to their ground. So, like you know, I always look at the the North London Derby away as kind of 
a, a little bit of a free hit because it's like, you know, if we can scrap a draw from there, that's fantastic. If we take an L from there, like it was kind of anticipated, which is no worries. But what's funny, Andrew, is that as we go into this London Derby, I don't even give a fuck about them. Like I'm not even yeah. thinking, I'm not even thinking about them at all. I'm thinking about us. I'm just thinking about okay, well, what is you know, Big Ange says go forward, so let's fucking go forward. I think, I think I used to lament games like this leading up to them because it was always like, well, if we fucking squander this chance or that chance, and we're ruining those chances, like those are the difference between this game and that. As we showed at the weekend, man, it, it doesn't matter how much time's on the clock. We're going forward. Watch out. No, there's there's no doubt about it. We're not trying to measure ourselves against them. We're trying to measure ourselves against ourselves, which I think is um, that's exactly the point. It's it's very different than than in previous years. And I think we all know we're still building something and we're still climbing a ladder. But it's nice to just be feeling like we're climbing a ladder rather than looking yeah. over at other at other people on other ladders and seeing if we can you know <laughs> judge uh, ourselves uh, next to them. It, it is it is really nice to to think about. So. Um, <laughs> It's going to be a fun week. It always is leading up to it. Um, before we get out of here, do you just want to mention, there's been a lot of news on the women's side that we have not really covered a lot just because it's been the preseason and they've been working it out. But um, big news out of the, this week, out of the women's side, Bethany England is the new captain of Spurs women. Um, we true. also haven't also haven't really mentioned that she underwent hip, hip surgery recently and is going to miss some time. Um, a lot of this stuff, we're, we're kind of building up to the start of the women's season, which is two weeks from today, October 1. Uh, Spurs women travel to Stanford Bridge to take on Chelsea. A um, couple new signings, couple friendlies. We're going to get um, Caroline back in here shortly uh, to kind of give us the lowdown on all of it. Um, and if you want to hear more about the women's team, head over to listen to N17 Women. They do a great job covering the women's side on that podcast. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna ramp up our coverage on the women's side as well. But um, cool, cool, cool to see the the reaction to Bethany England being named yeah. Spurs captain this week. And I think that's you know a, a very suitable uh, captain for for that squad. I 100 agree, and we're looking forward to uh, to see what direction the 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 Spurs women's team goes this year under her leadership. One other thing that I wanted to mention before we get out of here, Andrew, is actually the uh, something that's definitely going to go uh, overlooked, uh, but that is the silky touch of Brennan Johnson. Holy uh, smokes. You know what? Thank you for bringing Brennan Johnson up. We did not even bring mention him making his Spurs debut. Thank you for, for, for touching on that, because you're right. The, the, the goal he scored that was offside mm -hmm. and he clearly was offside, but mm -hmm. the touch, the, the oh. pace, the, the finish, all of that. Wow. Like that's, if that's a preview of just on yet another option, who, who, who boy, it was Delhi esque. That it was kind of Delhi esque. It got me really excited. And it's Except funny. You and I, you and I saw Brendan Johnson play back in mm -hmm. March for not being against Spurs. And we were, I don't even think we remembered that he was on the pitch. There was nothing there for us to really grab onto or look at. He was fast, but he that was, was fast. about, that was, yeah. but now who I'm, I'm interested in a little, seeing a little bit more of that. Well, the one thing that I will say that like, I was really impressed with the, with the touch. It did remind me of Delhi, but he took an extra moment before he finished that ball that showed composure that Delhi didn't have. Delhi is it was very much an instinctive player. Everything was in the flow. Yeah. Brennan Johnson had a moment to think about that and he fucking buried it shelf. I was a big fan. I think that there is 
the, there are so many reasons why Ange looked at him and said, give me that guy. And I think that we saw a big part of that reason in, in just the glimpse that we got from him. By the way, the vibes from him after that decky goal were insane, Andrew. Vibes are good all around right now, man. It's I'm try, I'm I'm having that weird as a Spurs fan. Do I let myself just buy into the vibes? And I've I think I'm coming to a realization, and this is really important uh, for for folks to to hear. I think, and if you've stuck around this long into the podcast, you, you'll I think appreciate this because as sports fans. I think those kinds of vibes and those kinds of moments that we got to experience against Sheffield United are kind of what we live for and watch for and mm-hmm. buy in for. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm to the point where it's, it's like the meme. Yes. I'm willing to get hurt again because I am like those moments make it worth it. And those moments of joy and camaraderie. And I saw a post and I'm, I'm, I'm going to regret like not being able to cite who it was, but I did see a post yesterday of somebody at the game sharing a video celebrating the winner in the stands with his, with his mother. And it was like, it was Michael bridge. I think you're right. I think it was Michael. Yeah, it was awesome. And there were a lot of people saying, apparently there were a lot of people in the replies being like, calm down, mate. It's Sheffield United, but it's not really about who the opponent is. It's about the moment and the experience and the shared memories that we get to have mm-hmm. watching these things. And we talk about this kind of thing all the time. This is a club that is about moments and making memories. And it's about the, the, the friends you have and, and, and the people you meet along the way and the community and Spurs gave that to us yesterday. And I just want to applaud them for it and, you know, appreciate it because it's something that, we have to embrace those moments when we get them as, as, as a collective and as fans. I a hundred percent agree. I a hundred percent agree. It's all about the vibes. It's all about the vibes, man. It's all about the vibes. Uh, this has been a fun one, Todd. Thank you so much for, uh, for wrapping about with it with me on a Sunday morning. Uh, we will be back with you all next week following the North London Derby. Uh, and boy, what a what a fun one that one is going to be. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice. You can follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, on threads, at Tottenham Depot. You can follow the Todd Father at TC underscore Kishore. You can follow me at A Stetka. Until next week, this has been the Tottenham Depot podcast. As always, come on, you Spurs. <laughs>